0: Scripture this morning can be found in the book of John, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. But I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Amen. You can have a seat. Um, today, we are celebrating, as, I, uh, as Jerry mentioned earlier, celebrating graduates. Thank you. And um, <clears throat> in my time, I have... Uh, been to many graduations, I've graduated a few times, myself from different places, and as youth pastor, I've been to countless graduations. Um, went to one a couple of weeks ago, I'll go to another one um, in a week or so, and there's something in common with all graduations and graduation speeches. They are all motivational I've never heard a graduation speech that said something along the lines of, Hey, when we graduate today and leave this place, you will never succeed. You won't be any good. As a matter of fact, you'll go to college, change your major six times, and won't know what you're going to do with your life. No, instead, the graduation speeches say something along these lines. I found a few, um, I think, more quotable lines that are in graduation speeches. We do not need magic to change the world. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. That's the kind of things we hear at graduation. Another one is, the trick is to listen to your instinct. Then, when the opportunity presents itself, give it your all. Or another one, how about this? But my dear graduate, this was someone sharing at a graduation at Kent State. Let me be frank, the best years are very much ahead of you, and they can be whatever you want them to be. I would say that that is probably true and false at the same time. They could be whatever you want them to be, um, but that may not be the case. Graduation speeches are sometimes some of the most powerful and some of the most redundant things because we are telling people this is what you need to do to be successful at life. When you graduate. Well, this morning, I know not every single one of you in this room are graduates. Maybe you've graduated at some time, but you're not graduating in 2021. But I would say that one of the things that we, as we'll be preaching four times today, want you to walk away from this service with are two words. Two words, they're, they're, they're the two points of the sermon, I guess you could say, but they're simply two words today, and to every graduate in the room, if there's one thing I could tell you that would make you successful at the rest of your life, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter how hard you work, these two words are two words that I want to stick with you, not just today or tomorrow, or in June, or in August. But I want these words to stick with you for the rest of your life. One of them shows up in this passage 11 times. And if you're, if you're ever looking at Scripture and you see something it and it shows up over and over and over, that should tell you that's something that is quite important. There's two words this morning. The other one shows up eight. And these words are abide and fruit. Two words. Abide and fruit. One is a command. The other one is a result. One is a cause. The other one is an effect. If you want to say that, one is something you do, and then the other one is what happens to you when you do it. So the first thing to write down if you're taking notes this morning is the word abide abide. Jesus has left the room where his disciples were having the last supper and they are most likely walking through a grape vineyard. You'll see on the screen, um, you'll see a a grape vine right there. He's walking most likely through a grape vineyard and Jesus as a a masterful storyteller wouldn't have just come up with this illustration just uh, without seeing a grape vine, but he's probably walking by this grape vine when he stops his disciples and he says, I want to Point something out to you here. He says, I, in verse 1 of chapter 15, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He he would have looked at this grapevine and pointed it out to his disciples. And let's make sure we understand the terms of the context. Jesus is referring to a grapevine, but what does he mean by calling himself the true vine? In the Old Testament, Israel was often referred to as a vine because I don't know if you've ever had a vine or vines around your house, but what happens? They start out this small, and what do they do? They spread. They just spread. What happened with Israel is is they started out, and, and they came out of slavery out of Egypt, and they wandered across the desert, and they crossed the Jordan River, and God planted them in the promised land. And they, just like a vine, they begin to spread, and they begin to spread, and they covered the entire area of the Mediterranean Sea near the Euphrates River and the Sea of Galilee and all the area today that we know of as Israel. They grew and they grew just like a vine, and they spread, and it was a fruitful vine. It produced um, some of the greatest uh, times in the ancient world. You had David. And then you had Solomon as a great king. Solomon built this massive temple that people would want to come and look at because of how beautiful and ornate it was. But then Solomon did something else. He made a treaty with Egypt, and in doing so, I guess you could say he sort of sold not just his soul, but he sold his nation away to another nation without realizing it. So that Israel eventually split, and when the leaders stopped doing something, the nation of Israel went away, and it's when the leaders stopped abiding in God. The vine was destroyed. Israel was God's chosen people, but even as his chosen people, they failed him miserably. Israel failed him, and Jesus is pictured here as the true vine. As compared to Israel, as such, he will never obey, he will never fail, and he will never die ultimately. If Jesus is the vine, the father is the vine dresser, and that introduces another metaphor. It's this metaphor of family. Jesus gives us two metaphors, one of a, of a vine and one of a family. He says, my father is the vine dresser. What does he mean by that? He's saying the farmer is the father. The father then is the farmer. The one taking care of the vine is none other than the father of Jesus. That means that what God does is like a loving farmer who takes care of that which he has planted? He loves the vine, so everything you hear Jesus describe at this point must be understood in the context of a loving father. What does is, what is, what is the father, who is also the farmer of the vineyard, do? Look at verses 2 and 3 Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What does the the vine dresser do? What does the farmer, what does God do? He gets rid of dead branches and prunes fruit-bearing branches. This is what any good vine dresser will do. The disciples standing in front of Jesus are already clean. Jesus has made them clean. Judas wasn't clean. We found that out a couple weeks ago, but Jesus has already made them clean, and he says, my words will prune you, and that's something you must know. God's word prunes. They don't realize it, but Jesus has been pruning them the entire three years. He's been taking these things that are not good in their life and cutting them out so that they will be able to bear more fruit. I know very little about gardening, I do not have a green thumb. I cannot grow hardly anything. I'm the very opposite of Jerry, who can grow almost everything. But I do know this, that roses are beautiful. And according to uh, what people have told me, because again, I wouldn't know, they're best if they're pruned mid to late February. And what does pruning involve? Cutting. Cutting away. And if the rose bush could talk, it would be screaming. Screaming. And if it could muster up any kind of self-will, it would pull away. But why must you cut things away? You cut things away because if they're not going to produce fruit, they're only going to destroy the vine that they're trying to grow on. You see, pruning hurts but is necessary. And when you abide in Christ, when you walk with Jesus, there will be times that he will use his word, he will use other people, He will use a song. He will use a sermon. He will use something that prunes away the bad that is in your life so that you can then produce more fruit. It hurts. It doesn't feel good, but it's the only way that you and I can grow is if we are pruned. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. To abide is to remain. To abide is to remain. Jesus is instructing them to remain, to stay put. Why does Jesus instruct his disciples to abide and to remain? Because when they're being pruned, they're being cleaned, everything in us wants to pull away. When we're being pruned, when God is, is using someone or his word to call something out in our lives, we, our first response isn't to lean into that. We want to pull away. But the only way that we're going to produce fruit and grow is if we do what is if we allow ourselves to be pruned. Jesus goes on to say, As the branch cannot bear more fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You are the branches. Whoever abides in in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to the statement. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You might say, Adrian, what what do you mean apart from me? There are people without Jesus who do things every single day, that's that's true, who do good things, people who do things that matter, but you can do things in your life, but without Jesus, they will not be ultimately fruitful. They may be good, and they may may be things that will be remembered for some time, but they will not be ultimately fruitful apart from Jesus. Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. This kind of seems outlandish. Jesus is not saying, hey, whatever you ask for, I will give. You want a Lamborghini, you just ask for it and I'm going to give it to you. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You could restate this phrase that Jesus said, when you abide in Jesus and his words abide in you, and then when you pray, what you're praying is in accordance with what God wants When your heart is in tune with what God wants, you will pray what God desires. When you're walking with Jesus and your heart is in tune with what God wants, the things that you pray are those things God desires. It's it's like me telling my almost three-year-old son, I, I tell him things over. Whitney and I tell him things over and over and over again, almost to the point where often I can be telling him something or asking him something, and he will finish what I'm about to say. Why is that? Because he's heard me say it over and over and over. That doesn't always mean he's going to do it. That doesn't always mean that he's going to act how I'm wanting him to act. And many times he acts better than I want him to act. But he finishes my statement because he's heard me say it. And it's the same way when we are walking with Jesus, the things that we pray. When Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done, doesn't mean you ask whatever you want. But when your heart is in tune with God's, you're going to ask what God desires. There's a book, and it'll be available in Next Steps to any graduate uh, um, who's in the room this morning. It's called Praying the Bible. It's a book that I discovered maybe several years back. It was given to me, and it's a, a small book. I mean, maybe less than 100 pages. And it's by Donald Whitney, who's a professor at Southern Seminary. And he talks about how you can pray the words of Scripture. And if your prayer life is ever potentially boring, I know that probably sounds bad, but if you're anything like me, I don't mind to sit down and read the Word and can read for as long as I want to or need to, but I struggle often with just simply praying. But this uh, shows you how you can take God's Word and begin to pray the very words that God Himself wrote. The easiest place to do that is in the Psalms. But if you're a grad in here this morning, I want you to go over to the Next Steps and pick one of those up in just a minute, because as you pray the very words of God, that will get your heart in tune with what God desires for you. Jesus goes on to say, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing fruit, proving to be his disciples, verse 10, he goes on, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and abide in his love. This may be one of the most humble words ever spoken. Jesus kept the Father's commands, and I'm afraid that we do not understand how far down Jesus came so that you and I could go up. Jesus lowered himself not just to the point of a human, Jesus lowered himself to the point of a human being killed for the things that you and I have done so that you and I would then have an opportunity to know God and be with God for eternity. I wish I could try to tell you in human examples, but they fail, but I'll give it a shot. It'd be like Bobby Flay, famous chef playing with his grandchild on an easy bake oven. He knows everything there is to know about cooking. If you watch his show, I've never seen anybody beat him, though they say it happens. You watch his show, but it'd be like him sitting down with his grandchild saying, let me, even though I know everything in the world there is to know about cooking, I'll play on this Easy Bake that actually hardly does anything. It'd be like Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, playing matchbox cars with, his, with a five-year-old. Or like LeBron James, who, who is, is, is one of the, uh, the best players to ever play basketball, just showing a small kid how to dribble. He can do anything and everything, but would lower himself. Jesus was so glorified before he was born of Mary that he kept, the fact that he kept his father's commandments is mind blowing. He came down to do what you and I were supposed to do and couldn't. And that's why his father was glorified. You see, Jesus said, Let there be, and the Milky Way galaxy came into existence. When Jesus said, let there be, everything that wasn't begin to strain to become something. At his very breath, but yet he is the one who came to earth to be born of a woman, to live a life that we couldn't and to live a life like ours. When you are willing to take your honor cords and drape them around someone else's neck or willing to go down in the desert sands of Africa and love someone who lives in a hut and has no electricity or deliver food to someone whose next meal depends on you or be unbelievably intelligent but unbelievably known or when you do what God says, when none of your friends will do what God says and they laugh at you for it, that's when you are being most like Jesus. Jesus humbled himself and abiding is obedience motivated by love. Abiding is obedience, not I have to walk with Jesus, but I'm walking with Jesus because of my love for him. And we see what happens when we abide. The second one is fruit. Fruit. Jesus then tells them the fruit that comes from abiding. These things I've spoken to you so that My joy may be in you. Before we go on, and he says, your joy may be full, do you realize that as a follower of Jesus, he wants your life to be full of joy? Like, I I think at times, I know that I forget because I can get caught up in, in something that's happening in the immediate, something that happened this week, And these things can naturally drag us down to a place of despair and of worry and of anxiety. But Jesus desires, hear me on this, that your life be full of joy. That's what he wants. He says, these things I've spoken, that your joy, that my joy may be in you. How in the world did Jesus have joy when he was just moments away from being crucified? Because he had been abiding. And he still was abiding. So what is the fruit of abiding in Christ? The first one is very simple there, joy. Joy, abiding in Christ brings joy. The happiest people in the world feel deeply loved by Jesus and and do what he says. The most joyful, happiest people, it doesn't matter if they're wealthy, if they're poor, if they're educated, if they're not, if they're single, if you're married, if you're athletic, or if you're a nerd, doesn't matter. You have joy in knowing who you are in Christ and abiding in him. It's another fruit of abiding. How about being able to give and receive love? The most loving people on the planet are captured by the love of Jesus. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And I would say Jesus looks at his disciples and say, there's no greater love than you lay down your life for your friends. But what makes the love of Jesus even more powerful is that he didn't lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies. Romans 5 tells us that before Christ, we were enemies with God. So Jesus didn't just lay his life down for people who he loved and knew. He laid his life down for people who, who cursed him, for people who chose not to believe in him, and he simply tells us, "Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends." You see, Jesus died to self to die for us. When he died to his self, he he was doing it for us, and we died to self to live for him. Jesus died for us so that we will live for him. That's a fruit. Here's another fruit, and this is a glorious picture of something that just as, as we've looked at this for the last week or so, I, I, I can't fathom the fact that Jesus would do this for us. The second, the next one is friendship with Jesus. A fruit of abiding is friendship with Jesus. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends because I have heard from the Father what I have, and I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't choose me. Jesus says, I I chose you and appointed you that you should bear more fruit. So we have, in social media, we have this thing that you can friend someone or unfriend someone. You need to unfriend the word friend. And here's what I mean. God is not your friend. You are God's friend. You didn't choose God to be your friend. He chose you to be his Here's what I mean. It's one thing if Michael Jordan, we were sitting uh, on Main Street yesterday uh, on a bench on the sidewalk, eating some ice cream, my family and I, and, and it'd be one thing if Michael Jordan was walking down through there, and while we're eating ice cream, I look up and I say, hey, there's Michael Jordan, and he looked over and waved at me. I could say Michael Jordan waved at me, and maybe I just called myself his friend now, but that doesn't make me his friend. It's an entirely another perspective. If Michael Jordan's walking down the sidewalk, he stops and he looks and he says, hey, Adrian, Whitney, and Lucas, how are you doing? I've been wondering about you guys. I forgot to text you last week, but I just wanted to check in and see how you guys were doing. I could at that point say, I am Michael Jordan's friend. Now, you take that and you multiply that times a billion infinities, in, in school, whenever somebody you would want to trump somebody on a number, you would just say infinity, and that trumped everything. You multiply that times infinity, and the God who breathes planets into being chooses you to be His friend. The God who, who, as I mentioned earlier, took nothing, took nothing, and made something. We, we can't do that. You're, you're going to make dinner this evening, but there are already things that are prepared for you in order to put it together. Jesus took nothing and made something, and that Jesus chose you to be his friend. Matter of fact, Ephesians 1 says that before the foundation of the world, before the world even existed, Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, God chose you and adopted you. It'd be one thing if we chose Jesus to be our friend, but it's entirely more glorious that Jesus chooses you and me to be his friend. Here's the the next thing that you get from, from abiding in Christ, lasting influence. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. When you're abiding in Christ, you will have influence that lasts forever. I remember a book that I read in in seminary, and it was a a book on leadership. and, And I think the quote says it's better to leave a living legacy than a lasting monument. It's one thing to give your family something when you are gone. It's another thing to pass on who you are in Christ when you are gone. Lasting influence. Abiding Christ followers produce abiding fruit. Friends who are more joyful because you're in their lives. Lifelong, deep, and loving relationships with others because you're abiding. A deep well of knowledge of God from which others want to come and draw. A high respect for a God who in his grace would choose you People who watch you, sons and daughters, employees, co-workers who watch you and want the Jesus you want. That's the fruit of abiding. And though there is just a handful of grads in this service, I want to speak to you for a second. If if that's the life you want, a life that's going to produce fruit, a life that's going to matter ultimately, that's going to last for eternity, a life that's going to make an ultimate impact, you're going to have to abide. You're going to have to abide. If you want joy, friendship with Jesus, lasting influence, true love, you will abide. And I guarantee you we could go around this room this morning and we could ask many of you in this room who's abided in Christ for longer than I've been alive, And I would probably ask you, hey, were there times that you were pruned and it was tough? And you would say, absolutely. There are times in my life that things were taken out or when people, when God put something in my life and it was pruning me. And was it tough? And you would say, yes, when following him was not something you wanted to do or when following his word flew in the face of of everything that you wanted to do. But how about those same people who would tell you that pruning hurt would also say in the long run, it was so worth it. It is so worth it. We abide in Christ and we produce fruit. And in doing so, Jesus says, not only will we have joy, but we will be showing as he's been accustomed to do throughout this series, saying, by producing fruit, you will show people that you are my disciples. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us, for giving us an opportunity to know you. And Lord, thank you that despite our flaws, despite our inabilities, despite our failure, Jesus, you still chose us to be your friend. Lord, we should have been picked last and and had no chance to be on your team, and we didn't. But Jesus, before we were even a thought, you chose us to know you. So God, I pray this morning, if there's someone in here who doesn't know you in that way, Lord, I pray that they would realize and, Holy Spirit, show them that you matter so much to them that you would be willing to die for them so that their sin would be forgiven. And for those in this room, those of us who do know you, I I simply pray that we would abide, remain, and walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.